for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Gateway, welcome. Thank you, Darren. Yeah, we're plus yesterday, great time. People from uh, Cornerstone at, uh, in Medway, right down to, to Grace, uh, to Broadstairs and churches in between. And it was it was really great time. And I love that particular session because we are looking at the doctrine of God and, and just doing the subject of the Trinity, which just always thrills my heart. And... Uh, yeah, I better not go down that route, otherwise I shall not be preaching the sermon that I'm due to be preaching this morning. But um, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew's Gospel and uh, chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at the kingdom of God the last uh, two, three weeks, and we're continuing on that. Uh, both today and tomorrow. This morning's theme is the coming kingdom, or if you like, bringing in the coming kingdom. I'm not quite sure how you title this, because in some ways titles are rather different, difficult. Um, but let me, let's just read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, shall we, and just hear the word of God. Now, seeing the crowds, uh, Jesus went up to a mountain, and he sat down, uh, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began speaking and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be very glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in this manner they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We so often call that the Beatitudes, and I don't believe that they are. <laughs> right? We're not trying to be, get an attitude here. Jesus is talking to people who already have an attitude. And he's actually doing the most shocking thing of all. Of all. He is opening the kingdom of God to them. So he's opening the kingdom to the broken, the despised, the rejected, those who don't have justice, etc., etc. Where the religious authorities would say, climb this... This religious ladder and you'll get into the kingdom. Jesus comes along and through the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount opens the door to those who are on the outside and invites them to come in. He says, this is your condition. You're welcome. There's grace here. And that, to me, the Beatitudes as we call them, is probably the most shocking statement uh, in the Gospels because it is just that. It invites all of those that religious people would want to keep outside. It opens the door and calls them into the kingdom of God. More on that, perhaps, in a minute. But over into chapter 6 and verse 25. How many of you are good at worrying? 
<laughs> you may not want to raise your hand, but actually the majority of people, if not all of us, worry in some way or other. And this is the amazing thing about this particular sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus covers a whole range of stuff. And then here in chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, take no thought about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Uh, uh, look at the birds of the air, for they don't sow and neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Who among you, by taking thought, can add a cubit to his stature? Why take thought about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work, they don't, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't dressed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, take no thought about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought about the things of itself. Sufficient uh, to the day is the trouble thereof. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and who cares for you. We've heard of that in our worship together this morning, haven't we? Then if you come over to the back of the book. We always like to know what the end of the story is like, don't we? So if you come over to Revelation and come into, uh, where are we? Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Look, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and he will be their God." God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Neither shall there there be any more sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, Write, for these are the words, for these words are faithful and true. He said to me, I am, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give her the spring of the water of life to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their portion in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. We like a story that ends well, don't we? I remember going to watch The Lord of the Rings, and uh, we were there, we saw the first session of The Lord of the Rings, and, and suddenly when it finished, it kind of finishes mid-story, doesn't it? And two or three rows behind Pam and I, we heard someone getting up and about to walk out, and I heard one lady turn to another, and she said, if I had known this hadn't got an ending, I wouldn't have bothered to come. <laughs> 
Uh, obviously, she didn't realize there was part two and part three yet to come. But we, we like to know that there is an ending. And we like to know that a story ends well. And the Bible is just such. It ends with this marvelous vision of a, a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. A place where there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin. A place where God dwells with his people in uninterrupted fellowship. Wow, what a prospect. What a prospect, isn't it? And we need to keep that before us. We need to keep the heavenly vision in our sights. It is a vision that has sustained and motivated many a saint down through the ages, right up to this present day. There are people going through difficult times who will read the book of Revelation, who will read the end of the book, and they will realize that God is sovereign and that God will fulfill his purpose on earth. And that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which there are no more tears, there is no more pain, there is no more death, there is no more sin. What a world that is going to be. But as you and I know, we are not there yet. You might want to pinch yourself just to realize that. You may have woken up this morning and realized that, uh, and it hit you straight in the face. But we are not yet there yet. We live in this overlap of the ages. Jesus came and he inaugurated the kingdom. When he came, he was the king and the kingdom in itself. And, and, and he, the, what he said was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's on your doorstep. It's coming around the corner. The kingdom has come in Jesus, and it is coming. And through his life and his ministry, through his teaching, through his healings, through his deliverances, he demonstrated that powerful kingdom of God, that reign of God in the the, uh, brokenness of our world. But So we live in this overlap of the ages. It, It wasn't completed there and then. Even when Jesus went to heaven, the world was still a mess. But something decisive had been done, which changed the history of planet Earth forever. Hallelujah. And that is the glory of Jesus Christ and his death and his powerful resurrection and ascension into heaven. The kingdom has come, but the old is still here. We live in this overlap of the ages. That's why you and I who know Jesus Christ, we we struggle at times with, with various tensions in our lives, with this now and this not yet. Uh, The decisive battle has been won. There are still skirmishes here and there that are taking place. And our job is to seek the advancement of the kingdom of God, the reign of King Jesus. Jesus taught us to pray in in that prayer that he gave to to his disciples and he gave to all his family. He said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. Yes, when we pray to God, we say, Father, we say, God, you're Father. You're my Father. You're in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a powerful prayer to pray. And it is one that we as Christians should be praying frequently as the people of God. We should be seeking day by day, praying day by day, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is not your will that I see in front of me. Your kingdom come here, your will be done there. And so on. In that way, we are to confront, if you like, the the powers of darkness. We're to confront the evil that is all around us. We're to bring something of the heart of God in. We're to to punch holes in this, this dark cloth that is there. So we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And in many ways, that's God's part where we we kneel before him and we say, God, you are the sovereign Lord. You are the only one who can do this. 
But Jesus also says, and we have just read it, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's something that we are called to do. That is something that is proactive. We are to seek the reign of God. It's it's not something that we are trying to, to get into, but something that we are already subjects of. We get into this kingdom by a new birth. Do you know him this morning? Because that's the way into the kingdom of God. Chapter 5 there, blessed are, is the invitation for you to come into the kingdom, even this morning. You feel worthless, that's okay. You feel you don't measure up, that's okay. None of us ever did or does. And that's the invitation of this, this King Jesus. You're broken, but he's the one who mends you. You're hungry and thirsty for something and you don't know exactly what it is. He is the one who can fill you. I want to ask you this morning, do you know him? You can go to church all of your life and I've heard and read stories of people who've been to church all of their life and then suddenly one day they hear the gospel in a way that impacts their life and suddenly they realize all they've been doing is religion. They've been doing the external stuff. They've been going through all the motions. They've never encountered the king as their savior and actually entered his kingdom. And boy, when they recognize that and they are born again, what a difference it makes. He's not waiting for us to get good. We can't get good. He's the one who makes us good. Hallelujah. And that's the glory of this wonderful gospel. It's about... A God who comes in flesh and lives here for us and dies here for us. Dies a death that we should have died and and, and pays the price for all our sin and then rises again, beating everything that was against us. Satan, sin, death and hell. It's a powerful gospel. And so Paul says to those that know Jesus, he says, you have been translated out of the domain of darkness. Actually, Satan is not a king. Okay? It's a domain that people live in, but Satan is not a king. And so he says, you've been translated out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. That is a great place to be, isn't it? That is the best place in the world to be. It is the only place in the world to be. Because the kingdom of God is righteousness. And that's all good. We, we think of it as stuffy do's and don'ts, but it's righteousness. Righteousness is good stuff. It's peace and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't want a bit of that? Or who doesn't want all of that? Eh? Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's not that we're trying to find this kingdom. It's rather that we are to seek its advancement. We're called to, to seek the advance of the reign of King Jesus on planet Earth. That is his reign in, and his will in all areas of life. As, as we seek that, that extension of his kingdom, it will impact our personal life, lives. It will impact our marriages. It will impact our families. It impacts the way we do and think about and be church. It impacts every sphere of activity and influence that we are involved in. And, and that word that Tom brought was just something like that. Is what do you see? You know, many of us, we're just careering through a world just trying to keep the roof over our heads and food in our, in our bodies, you know. But life is more than that. There is a world out there of great need that Jesus loves and he wants to reach. 
It's not so much a a geographic thing, it's rather where the king's will is sought and it's being done. So it's an active thing, it's not passive. You know, the devil loves to get us into passivity. I've been there several times, I'm sure you have. You're kind of like, oh well, whatever will be, will be. Future's not ours to see, you know the one. And we kind of get like that, and we just kind of resign and give up on life, even as God's people at times. We say, I I don't get it anymore. I don't understand what I'm going through. And the devil, if he can get us to surrender to passivity, he's got us. Not that I mean we lose our salvation, but actually we lose something because we are disempowered, if you like. We're disenfranchised for serving the king's purpose. Passivity is something we have to resist through the power of God, in the name of Jesus Christ. If the devil can lull us into passivity, he can can keep us quiet and stop us doing the work, the king's business. And if he can do that, he's quite happy. Is that where you are this morning? I don't want this to, to sound hard, but you know, the devil's happy with that. And God wants you out of it. God wants you in the right way to be an aggressive kingdom taker. You know, and that's not the aggression of this world. It's the aggression, if you like, that comes from being filled with the Spirit and saying, I'm not having this. Whether it's the temptations he's bringing across your path, whether it's turning a television on late at night and watching what you shouldn't be watching, whether it's looking at pornography or anything like that, it's saying, no! He has given me power to say no to sin and to live a different kind of life. He's given us power not just to look after ourselves, but to begin to reach out and meet the needs of others and touch people beyond our own spheres. And so this this comes from, it it involves us desiring, it involves us longing, it involves us searching, it involves time and effort on our part. And if in any, any way the enemy can immobilize us, he will try and do so. It takes time and effort to pray. I don't always feel like praying. I've heard some people say, well, I pray when I feel led. My observation is you are hardly ever led. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'll go to the prayer meeting if I feel led. Well, when's that going to be? You know? We say, look, we're going to pray. And we set our heart and mind to it and we choose to do it. We read our Bibles You know, if the enemy can keep you from the word, he can keep you from manna for your soul. He can keep you from the, the, you know, who loves a good meal? Oh, there's only a few of you love a good meal. Well, that's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? I'm pretty sure that we all love a good meal. You know, but some of us are just content with reading the menu. I'm not content with reading the menu. I want to eat the meal. And some of us are just reading the menu of the word of God and we need to be eating the meal itself. We need to be digging into that word and we need to be feeding on it and sustaining our souls. So there's desire, there's longing, and sometimes we have to go to God and I've had to go to God at times and say, God, I don't feel like this. I don't feel much at all. But God, would you help me? Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Anybody been there? Yeah. Brothers and sisters, it is a battle that we're in. And we need to put on the whole armour of God. We need to to be energised by the power of God. 
God has given to us exceeding great and precious promises that we might live lives that glorify him and see his kingdom coming on earth. Wonderful, isn't it? So, in that respect, when we seek the kingdom of God, it's, it's not that we seek it as, 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 as a part of a list. Many of us have got big lists, haven't we? Have you got a big list of things you do? You know, and it's as long as your arm, and it's longer than both arms. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we have these lists, don't we, that, that this, is, this is my life. And I've got so much to pack in, and, and the, the danger is that kingdom can become just another one of those items on the list. I've got to fit Jesus in somewhere. I've got to fit doing something for him in somewhere. When in actual fact, what Jesus is saying is that this kingdom, our attitude to, to this kingdom, should be the, it, it's the overarching and an all-encompassing thing. It is the thing which in everything else takes its place. So we, we seek it first. Does this fit with the king's business? Does this fit with what God's will is for my life? When I change a job, when I move house, whatever it is, however I do it, wherever I go, are we saying, God, I want your will? What is your will? So it's not the first in the list of things. Everything is to be subordinated and, and, and governed by that. We prioritize our, our lives around that. And as I said again, there's an enemy out there, and he will seek to get us off track. And I want to say this, this is where repentance comes in. Yes, as grace, people who believe in, in the grace of God, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Yeah? Yeah? Grace also empowers us. And we mustn't let the devil rob us of that. Grace means that we have a redeemed mind. We have a redeemed heart. We have a redeemed will. We can make decisions. Okay? And that's where repentance comes in. Because, let's be honest, we all miss it. Don't we? We all miss it. And grace, you know, enables us to say, God, I've been on the wrong track today. I'm sorry for that. Forgive me and help me to realign myself with your will. And that's the amazing thing about this this wonderful story of salvation, this wonderful grace of God, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down because the Lord upholds him with his hand. And he del- and, and he picks him up and enables him to get up and go on again. That's, that's lovely, isn't it? That's our, that's our God. He's such a loving father. He's saying, come on, you're my son. You're my daughter. What are you doing down here in the dirt? What are you doing wasting your time? And you suddenly wake up. Oh, God, I'm sorry. But God's grace was in front of you. And it's there. And it will be ahead of you. Wonderful, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful. So through repentance, we realign ourselves to the will of God. And you might be doing that even as you're listening this morning, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, this is pressing a few things with regard to me. It's your opportunity to say, God, I'm sorry. And right now, as I'm listening to this word, I am realigning myself with you, King Jesus, and with your will for my life. So here we are, we are part of this amazing kingdom of God of which Jesus is the king. And, and we're in this, this in-between time, this now and not yet. And we know that there's a better day to come and we sing about that and we, we look forward to that. And we live with this tension of how do we do this stuff where there are so many promises and possibilities now. And yet also, let's be honest, so many disappointments at times. Yeah? 
I know that. And you know that. And the danger is that we can be living in a land of unreality if we're not careful. The danger is that we can expect too much. Or we can expect too little. And if we don't come to, to terms of, with that, what, what will happen is we'll, we'll end up living in this land of unreality. Which can lead us to discouragement and disillusionment on the one hand, but also disengagement and total retreat or even escapism on the other. A passive surrender to what is. And we're called to live in that tension. That tension of the now and the not yet. Things don't always add up. We pray for some and they're healed instantly. We pray for others and they're healed over a period of time. And we pray for others and they're not healed at all. Some get amazing provisions and others don't. How do you square that? Some experience tragic accidents, but others are preserved. Some suffer and others don't appear to. Well, not half as much. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, where he lists great men and women of the faith. People who prove God in mighty ways. And then he says in verse 32, and he says, What more shall I say for time would before me, uh, would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in fighting, turned uh, the, the armies of foreign, uh, of foreign enemies to, to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Wow! And then you read on. Others were tortured and, didn't escape, and did not accept deliverance so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others, they had trials of mocking and scourging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They were wandered about around in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute and afflicted and tormented. And look at this. It says the world was not worthy of them. Brothers and sisters, those people still had a real faith. There are people who are suffering in Syria and Iraq today who know and love Jesus. And are suffering in dimensions I can't begin to understand. And the world is not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. These all have obtained a good report through faith. But they didn't receive the promise for God provided something better for us so that with us they would be made perfect. We live with tension. And the sooner we wake up to that, the better it is for our Christian lives and and this whole area of mission and ministry. The kingdom, it's it's kind of, it's all a bit of a messy world really. And I I haven't got a watch on. I I broke it conveniently the other day. (laughs) I can't see those if I don't look that way, can I? (laughs) Right, so here we are, we're, we're living this, with, with this tension, it's a messy world, and, and Jesus stepped into this messy world, didn't he? And he spoke of the messiness of, of this kingdom business. So he says, as we read in that, that first portion of scripture, you'll be blessed 
but you'll also be persecuted. He says, and he talks about in the parable of the sower, as, as, one, as you go out sowing, he says, you know, some of it's going to fall on hard ground and some of it's in the middle and, and some of it's going to fall in the right kind of stuff and, and it's going to bring forth fruit, but some of that is going to be, you know, 30, 60, 100, that kind of thing. You know, it kind of like doesn't all add up nice and neatly. Now, let me let you into a secret. I am a bit of a perfectionist. Perfect, people who are perfectionists struggle with untidiness, don't they? We want it all to be nice and neat and packaged. We want to know how it's all going to work out. And it kind of freaks us out. That's where we need the grace of God. And this is what the kingdom's like. And, and, and you think of, so there are measures of receptiveness. This word, this gospel that we're proclaiming. And then you think of the parable of the wheat and the tares. And, and it says, an enemy came and sowed seed among them. Oh, no! This lovely field that I've sown, it's now got weeds in it. My trade was in horticulture, in garden landscape and maintenance and all of that. I hate weeds with a vengeance. They make work really hard, don't they? You know, all that effort you put in, and there's weeds. Weeds seem to grow a whole lot easier than plants do, don't they? You spend all your time nurturing and pruning and spraying and all this stuff, all the plant stuff, and a little weed grows up there, just like that, with a little flower on it, and it goes to seed, and boom, they're everywhere else. And Jesus said, actually, this is what kingdom's like. This is what kingdom's like. It's untidy. It's messy. Get used to it. So there's an enemy around. But the beautiful thing in that chapter, Matthew 13, where he refers to those things, is it grows phenomenally. You know, it's like the little mustard seed, but it grows into this tree, and, and wow, you know. And so in the midst of all this, this confusion, this messiness, this kind of untidiness, the kingdom of God is growing and will grow. That's amazing, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, this side of heaven, it will always be messy. <laughs> yes, it will always be messy. You know, it's not the factory production line. When you think of a factory production line, you think of it in very clinical terms. You, the floor is nicely swept. You've got all the machines that do the business, and, and you just program them in the right way, and you put the right materials in, and the right thing comes out at the end. Okay, there's a lot, odd little mistake here and there. That's why you need the maintenance guys and so on. But generally, the thing works, doesn't it? You're producing cars. You're producing computers. You're producing all sorts of stuff, and, and you, you can pretty much rely on it. But... The picture that Jesus uses is not a, a machinery production line. It's not a car production line. It's not a computer production line. The pictures he uses are, are of a field, of a garden where there's dirt and there's, there's weeds and there's animals and there's diseases. Yeah, a very organic world. And, and that's where the kingdom comes. It's, it's, you know, Jesus didn't come to a nice, tidy world. He came to a messy, mixed-up one. And he has commissioned us to serve him in such. And that's where we're called to. Wow. What else do we read in that uh, particular verse? It says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. I love that it says, All of these things shall be added to you. Don't you? 
We, we, we love to claim that. Jesus, you said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these things shall be added to you. I want to blow your conception of that particular verse if it's not blown already. Okay. In our evangelical Protestant Western tradition, we have translated that word regularly as righteousness. The Greek word that is there, we've translated it as righteousness. Now, the Greek word there is a big word. It's a massive word, and you can translate it as righteousness. But you can also translate it in another way. Now, let me say this. When we translate it as righteousness, we as good evangelical people very often think about ourselves, how right we are with God, how good we are doing, how worthy we may be. And so it becomes very turning in on ourselves. But that wasn't the word that Jesus used. And it's not how we're meant to understand it. So this is what he, he, he says. And the old church fathers understood it this way. If you go to people like Chrysostom and Augustine, it's only since the King James Bible was translated that we have it in the way that we have. Some modern versions are beginning to move back to the way I'm going to mention now. So this is the way it should be read. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all of these things will be added to you. Ah, justice isn't about my personal agenda. It is about an agenda that is much bigger than ourselves. It's about others. And you, you only have to go through the scriptures to, to realize the importance of justice. Um, frequently, you know, the word is used in parallel with righteousness, so we're all familiar because it's been sung numerous times. Let justice flow like rivers and righteousness as an ever-flowing stream. Very often they're used in parallel. Because there is a way that righteousness, if you like, qualifies justice. It has to do with the character of God. So it's a, it's a major theme in the Old Testament. God is a God of justice who hates all injustice. The scriptures tell us, Psalm 11 verse 7 and Isaiah 61 8, the Lord is righteous and loves justice. All his ways are just. Deuteronomy 32, 4, 2 Chronicles 19, 7. He blesses those who maintain justice. Psalm 106, verse 3. The prophets frequently spoke to the people of God about injustice because they were not living as God intended them to be. They were meant to be a prophetic voice to the nations showing how the justice of God works out in humanity. And when in captivity, the Israelites were to seek the blessing of the city that they were in. And that blessing involves being shalom, which involves being uh, at peace and the well-being and justice. So we, we have this massive word. And let me just jump to the end of this a minute. Because when you begin, if you put this in context, seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, then it makes logical sense that all these things will be added to you. The other way around, it doesn't. Okay, so if we are seeking God's justice for those around us, every need will be supplied. But invariably, because we don't, it doesn't happen. And we don't see as much of it as we should be. So, you know, you read that. And you can say, seek first the reign of God, that is his kingdom. And his justice for all peoples. And all of these things shall be added unto you.
So when we think of the justice of God, we, we think of recognizing that everyone is made in the image of God. That we give dignity to all, that everyone is equal. That we all stand in need of redemption and that wherever people are, there are needs that need to be met through the economy of God. I'm going to try and pull this in and wrap it up and I trust you'll go away and in your community groups explore it further because this could do with really a whole lot more on what it means to be a people who are seeking the justice of God in our world today. Jesus came to redeem and restore the whole person, body, mind and spirit. He came to meet needs when he, he said, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor to heal the brokenhearted, to set those those who are in prison free, etc. He said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you into all the world. Justice will involve, how can I sum it up? Justice involves loving. That's the very first thing. It involves loving. It involves being merciful. It, It involves dignifying the individual. It means giving worth to people, recognizing personhood, being welcoming, granting forgiveness, accepting, reconciling, healing, engaging, meeting needs, sharing meals, a whole lot of stuff, which is all really quite ordinary and down to earth that is not beyond any of us, isn't it? That's amazing. Going back to that word that Tom brought, what do you see? Think of the man who was lying there on that dusty road. Religious people walked by him and they just saw a man lying on a dusty road, broken and beaten very people who should have known the heart of God for that man didn't see what they should have saw. The Samaritan, the most unlikely of people, comes down that road and he sees with God's eyes and he brings God's heart to that individual. This is a challenge for us. In the worlds in which we live, the spheres of influence What are we seeing? What is there around us? People who are bowed down and needing to be lifted up. People who are being walked over in in the whole affair of business and they need their, their dignity restored. They need to be recognized for who they are. You can multiply this out in numerous ways. Rick McKinley, he puts it like this, that this, this is about pursuing relationships with people that God wants to bless. Yeah. Broken people, busted people, hungry people, people who, who lack the justice of this world. It involves human trafficking. It involves, it involves prostitutes. It involves a whole host of broken humanity. Justice in the Bible involves giving to others what we owe them. 
It means the meeting of legitimate needs. It means a husband giving to his wife the love that he owes her. It means a wife the respect that her husband deserves. It means parents the love, the time, the tension, the care and the discipline that their children require. It means caring for my neighbour. It means the business owner taking proper care of his workforce. The landlord, her tenants. It means loving my enemy. It means going the extra mile. It means a whole lot. This is what it is to be kingdom people. And in that sense, it is not a place of personal comfort. Did you hear me? It's not a place of personal comfort. We're called to battle. Called to battle, brothers and sisters. Called to put on the whole armor of God and be strong in him and the power of his might. Yeah, I feel weak at times. I feel busted at times, but he is bigger than me. And his grace is bigger than my failures. Hallelujah. He has given us exceeding great and precious promises. He doesn't want us to hold up somewhere and wait for the end to come. He wants us to have that hope and he wants us to bring something of that into the present so that people who are blind can see, people who are deaf can hear, so that those who are in prison can be released. This is the gospel. This is what it is to seek first the kingdom of God and his justice and all of these things shall be added to you. Hallelujah. It was Augustine who said, when we seek his justice, bread will not be wanting you. Wow. That is a big vision. Isn't it? It's massive. It's captivating. It's risky. But hey, that's what God calls us to. And it will mean that we have to step outside of the circle of our comfort zones, of our frailty, of our weakness, and trust in his bigness and his supply and what he will do. Oh God, I don't know if I can do it. Can I pray for that sick person? Can I I really reach out to that person in need? God is able. Hallelujah. Let us stand.